Oh, just give me thumbs up when you're ready, Jordan. Great. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. How many of you, this is the first morning that you've attended the School of the Word since COVID? Several of y'all. Several of you. Uh, this is a test of our fellowship. How many of you know that family back there? The man who's rightfully covering his face. All right. That's the Missio's family. Now, these two people over here, just raise your hand. How many of you can name their two names, their front, first names? Gwendolyn, what are the names? Jack and Lisa. So everybody will know that. So it's good to see all of you here this morning. <clears throat> We're continuing in our review of our study of the love of God. And this morning, we're going to go back and do a little bit more in the issue of God's sovereignty. And then I don't guarantee that we'll get to God's righteousness. I have it in the notes, plan to get there, but the way I sometimes feel the Holy Spirit leads, he's not allowing me to pursue what I think we ought to do. I suppose that's God's sovereignty to do that. It would be other people's thoughts that, no, I'm just, that's the way I am. I talk too much, and I don't think I do. I know I do. So this morning, we've already covered the attributes of what? Omniscience, which means what? God knows everything all the time comprehensively. So what does that mean? His love is all-knowing, comprehensive at all the time. What does that mean? That means that there is nothing that we can do, nothing that we will be able to do, that God does not know that thing thoroughly and comprehensively even before we do it. Do we get that? Do we understand that? Therefore, the Bible says, nothing is hidden from his sight. And because God's love is omniscient, there's nothing about us that he doesn't know thoroughly and comprehensively. And that should make us very, very glad. Because every sin that God knew about, and David, how many sins did God know about in each of us? Every one, every sin that God knew about, he placed on the shoulder of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus, Mary, Jesus paid for how many of the sins? All of our sin for all time. That means that today, none of us is capable of sinning in a way that God doesn't know about it comprehensively. It can't happen. Do we see that? And so let this break the chains of, did I just do something for which God did not know and maybe I'm not forgiven? Because people think this way. God's love is also omnipotent. What does omnipotent mean? All-powerful. Those whom he loves, 
He loves with all of his power. That means that those whom he has determined to be saved will be saved. Why? Because his power will make it to be so. Which means that there is nothing about me. There's nothing in me that has the kind of power that can overcome the power of God's omnipotent love. Are we beginning to see all of this? God's love is not only omniscient, omnipotent, but is what? Omnipresent. Wherever I go and whatever I am doing when I go there, God is there. Omnipotent means, what, um, um, what, what word do we say? Omnipotent, right? What does omnipotent mean? Say it again. Say. Oh, what? I can. Oh, no, omnipotent. What is, um, wait, we did omniscient, omnipotent. Omnipresent. I'm, I'm sorry, I said the wrong one. What does omnipresent mean? He's everywhere, all the time, comprehensively. And so that means that if we sin, where is God? He's there. He's there. Since God is omnipresent, what about his love? Is it also omnipresent? Yes, and because God's love is omnipresent, when I sin, God's love is still with me and in me because God is everywhere at the same time. Do we see that there is no ability for us to escape the power and the presence and the knowledge of God's love in our lives? And so what was the next one we went to? Immutable. God's love never changes. Immutability means that God being God in his essence and as to his nature and as to his character cannot ever change even one iota. There can't be even a scintilla of change in God. That means that God is not fickle. Our love is always based on circumstances, on relationships, on our feelings, on what we get, what we don't get, how we what happened to us, and all of that. Our love is absolutely self-centered, fickled in every way. It is absolutely continually vibrating, if you would, or changing. Isn't that human love? There's no absolute, no stability in human love. Not at all. But in God's love, there is an immutability. It never changes. So what circumstance can I be in what circumstance can you be in that would cause God's love for me to change? What? None. And do you see what's happening? We begin to see that the entire weight and purpose and power of our lives in Christ is about God that I believe the Holy Spirit is, if you would, refocusing us away from being me preoccupied 
and insisting that we be God preoccupied in every aspect of our lives. And so last week we did immutability and we started sovereignty. Now what does sovereignty mean? Sovereignty is that attribute of God. It's one of those attributes of God that is one of the most difficult and one of the most distasteful even to believers. Sovereignty means what? That God has authority to rule absolutely, completely, comprehensively, all the time, anything and everything in his created order. Not only does he have that right to do that, he does that. That there is nothing in this universe, therefore nothing in your life, Steve. Billy, nothing in your life that God does not sovereignly orchestrate. Now, what did I just touch? What did the Holy Spirit just touch in you when I said that? What about my what about my what? Free will. What about my free will? The only will that is freed from manipulation, change, circumstances, experiences, the only will that is really free from anything of manipulation is God's will. God's will is the only sovereignly free will, which means what? That there's nothing outside of God that in any way can to any extent alter any of his will, of his sovereign will. Nothing. And that's obnoxious to people, isn't it? Because all of a sudden, well, wait a minute. What about my free will? Where's my freedom? But don't I have some say-so in this? Do you see how it... Because remember, the rebellion caused us, the rebellion of Adam and Eve, caused us to be antithetical, contrary to, against, in opposition, hating the attributes of God and putting up arguments against them. And we even see that in the church, which I may mention in a few minutes. We're not going to get to the righteousness this morning. So let me go through some of what I have in my notes. That was just a kind of a sweeping introduction, I suppose. This morning we'll complete our discussion of God's sovereignty. And by the way, these are just sketches. You know, this is not exhaustive at all. And remember that David had talked about God's immutability and sovereignty several months ago. And so again, thanks to David Batten. When the Bible speaks about God's sovereignty, it is speaking about his absolute personal intrinsic. Do you know what intrinsic means? His alone. It's inside of him. It's his. It's mine. Intrinsic. God's absolute personal intrinsic comprehensive authority to rule over all of his creation for all time. For all time. 
Because God is sovereign, he alone rules. Because God is sovereign, he alone has the right and he alone actually decrees or dictates. Now, I'll use a word we don't like. I just use it. God is our divine dictator. How many of you are glad about that? Why? Because God has dictated that we would be members of his kingdom. God determines what is good and what is evil. Did you just hear me? God determines what is good and what is evil. God determines what is just and unjust, and we'll talk about that later. God determines what is the truth and what is not the truth. And so when we want to know what these things are, where do we go to find out? We don't go to the encyclopedias. We don't go to the philosophies of people. We don't watch uh, Fox News and CNN News. We don't listen to the Democrats or the Republicans. We don't go to everybody on the street and begin to ask them. Where do we go to find out what is true and not true, what is evil and what is good, as declared and sovereignly determined by God himself? Where do we go for that? Only in his word. Only in his word. That's where it is. And as believers, we will come up against the world that will consistently and continually oppose this. But what we have to do is not debate. We're not called to debate the word of God and the will of God. We're called to what? Proclaim it. And allow the Holy Spirit to deal with the opposition. We are to proclaim it in our lives, in our words, in everything about us. So don't be so worried about, well, suppose somebody does this and they're arguing this point and they make a point that I can't answer. You just stand for the sovereignty of God and you watch what the Holy Spirit will do. He may not do anything as far as you and I see, but he is doing something. So even Adam's disobedience, even Adam's disobedience was according to God's sovereign plan so that now all are under the authority of sin. Now, how does that make you feel? God created Adam and Eve to be his image bearers and all of their progeny, all of the kids that would come forth. And he gave them, you know, all this these trees and these animals and this beautiful garden. And he simply said, of all of it, you see that tree right there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Remember in Genesis 2.17? You can eat of all the other trees, but of that tree do not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall what? Sh no, not die, what? Surely die. Or in the Hebrew, in your dying you will die. When Adam creates I'm sorry, when God creates Adam and Eve, does he know that they will fall? Is God omniscient? Carolyn, is he all-knowing? So when he created Adam and Eve, did he know they would fall? Yes. He knew that when he said, let there be light, what he would do and what would be the results. Because you see, all of creation and all of the activities of creation are the activities of God's sovereign purpose to declare himself as glorious 
in his eternal people whom he has chosen before the foundation of the world. So you say it like this, and we sing the song, this is my father's world. This is God's creation. Even Adam and Eve's disobedience. Not that God allowed it, but that God what? Decreed it. Now, let's be, let's be fair. And I know I take a little time in this, but it is so radically significant for us. How many of us are uncomfortable? And I have to admit, I find an uncomfortableness about it. When I say, God decreed their fall. How many of us kind of like, am I the only one? It's like, you know what I mean? Like, and what's the question? Is that what? It's the F word, what? Fair. Is it fair? And because we do not believe it is fair, excuse me, fair, we believe that God cannot either cannot be that sovereign or that I, I don't know what we believe. But do you feel it in you? I mean, Pharaoh, good morning, Pharaoh. Welcome to the class. Do you, how do, do you feel it's unfair, feel it unfair that God should decree Adam's disobedience? It's unfair. Doesn't it feel unfair? But you see, aren't you glad God is not fair? Because being fair is what we say should be done and how we determine how that thing should be done according to our fallen, darkened, sinful, corrupt wisdom. And who are we to determine, even in this life, what is fair? Do we have the ability to genuinely determine what is fair? No, not in ourselves. So God said, let there be light. You know, it's one of those things that, but why did Adam and Eve sin? Well, they sinned because they wanted to sin. Did God make them sin? No. But it was God's decree that, uh, do you see what's happening here? Who can explain this? So this is why Isaiah 55 is so important. My ways are not, your, my thoughts are not for as high above the heavens and the earth are my thoughts and my ways more than yours. Deuteronomy 29, the, the what? Sh, 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 secret things. The secret things belong where? To God. And he ain't telling us. Now, the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. And I say this because these are the kinds of things that cause us to question God's love for us. How can God be a loving and just God and dot, dot, dot? It's difficult. These are what we call theological conundrums. What does that mean? We don't understand it, and we can't explain it. But how many of us 
can explain. The next time someone asks you to give an answer, come on, Bridget, you tell me, you tell me. Well, first, before I do that, let me at least ask you to explain something to me. Yes. What is love? Uh, well, it's, uh, it's, it's all we know is, or how can it be that God has always existed? And if you can explain these things, then you're going to be able to explain how God's sovereignty and how our responsibility work in tandem, hand in hand. So I can't go any further with that, you see, and I'm sure you're saying thankfully. As a result, God has sovereignly decreed that the wages of sin is death. Now, such a decree in and of itself is not good news. But not only has God sovereignly decreed that the wages of sin is death, he's also decreed the rest of Romans 6.23. The gift of God for his people is what? Eternal life in Jesus Christ. So God is sovereignly decreed that we are here this morning as his people of love because he's sovereign. And so there are a lot of questions about God's sovereignty I don't get. But I can tell you one thing. I am not going to get allow my questions and my concerns and whatever overrule this. First of all, he is sovereign. And secondly, thank God he is. Because I stand here this morning as a man who has been decreed sovereignly to be saved and to be here. And so have you been. So... We may not understand and we do not understand very much about the sovereignty of God in many of these issues. But can we at least say, I know you're sovereign and I thank you for it. See, let's not impugn, let's not put down God's sovereignty. So when did God make this decree that we should be saved? The gift of God is eternal life. When did he make that decree? He made it in Ephesians 4.1. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So what? He chose us. It is God's sovereign will that we are chosen. God's sovereign will that we are chosen. See, this is why in Ephesians 1, after we see that he chose us, the word says this. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. We are here today because of God's sovereign love. He has decreed before the foundation of the world that he would have a people and that he knew each person personally in his own heart and mind and in his own purpose. And at a particular time, in a particular country, you know, under whatever circumstances we may live, God birthed us physically into this world. And then later, after we were physically born, God sent the Holy Spirit to gather each one of us into his kingdom. And so why are we here today? Well, I'm here, some may say, because I have prayed to receive Jesus. Well, that's not why you're here. I am here because I put my faith in Christ. Well, Warren, that's not why you're here. Why are we here today? Why? Charlie, Charles, why are you here? 
He sovereignly chose you, brother. He, what? Yes. Is there anywhere, is there any, how, how many of you ever thought this? You know, I'm so glad I was born to who, my, my mom and my daddy at this time because if I wasn't, I may not be what? Saved. You see, God may have missed me if I wasn't born in this circumstance and these people. And do you see what happens? Phyllis, is that possible? It's not possible. Is it possible for any of God's chosen ones before the foundation of the world not to be saved? Is it possible? Any, is it possible? It ain't possible. There's not one that will be lost. Jesus says, I lose none. And so, if I fail to share the gospel with this lady here, and I walk away and I think, oh, I failed to share the gospel. Oh, I, I don't know whether, if, if she never hears the gospel again, will God save her? Linda, what? She will be saved. Because my salvation and your salvation is not dependent upon us sharing the gospel, nor is it dependent upon us coming to Sunday school, although that's a little questionable, although it's not dependent upon us even going to Alpha. These are not the ways we're saved. How are we saved? By the blood of the cross and our salvation which God determined eternally before the creation of the world is accomplished or paid for in time at the cross and then applied to us by the Holy Spirit when he births us into the kingdom unilaterally according to God's sovereign elective will and as a result of that work you and I confess Christ or we receive Christ or we placed if you would our faith in Christ or in our hearts we called upon the name of the Lord to be saved do we see that and why am I adamant so our salvation is based on God's sovereign will elective purpose and action by the Holy Spirit correct that means this, that we are sovereignly saved. Our salvation does not depend upon me saying a prayer. Nor does it depend upon me calling upon the name of the Lord. It sovereignly rests in the purpose of our God to love us. Why? Because God is love. And so we're here today. Remember what John 1.13 says? Can anybody read that to me or quote it to me, John 1.13? It's a great verse. Remember John 1.12, Jesus came to his own and his own did not what? Receive him. But to as many as what? Somebody have it there? Can somebody loudly read it? 1.13 of John. It's okay to read in class. Somebody read it for us. 113. Why will you save? Why will you save? Why? 113 tells you why. Well, 12 says those who believed in his name. Now, why did that happen? Why did we get saved? Do you see it? I want to make sure 
we disabuse you of the thought that you were saved because you decided to be saved. Our salvation is not the product of my decision, it's the product of God's decision, to which I said yes when the Holy Spirit came upon me. Now, I said in the beginning, God's sovereignty is obnoxious to many people. And you're going to find many churches that will really have a problem with what we just said. And the teaching is this, that God has curtailed, if you would, some of his sovereignty and given it to man so that man can have the ability to choose or not to choose Jesus when the gospel is being preached. So you hear the gospel. Troy, you hear the gospel. And now it's incumbent upon you whether you decide to believe God, decide to call upon Jesus. And as a result of that, the emphasis is this, we've got to get out there. We've got to preach the gospel. We have to do it because if we don't, Harold Turner will never hear the gospel and he'll never be saved. If we don't, then Butch Missios will miss eternal life because he didn't hear the gospel. Is, is this man's sovereignty overruling God's sovereignty? You see, God doesn't give away his attributes. He retains it for himself. Why? Because it's who he is. None of his attributes at any moment are diminished or changed. None of them. Because God has sovereignly chosen us before the foundation of the world, we know the answer to this question that Paul says in Romans 8:35. Listen to this question. And Paul has God's sovereignty in mind. Who or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Answer that. What? Who? Nothing. No one. Why? Because God is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipotent. I mean, omnipresent, immutable, sovereign. Will tribulation separate us? Will distress separate us? Answer, yes or no? Will, will famine separate us or nakedness separate us? Peril or sword separate us? But here's a good question. Will my personal sin, Celeste, ever have the ability to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Cody, can your sin separate you from God? Can our sin separate us from God? Answer the question according to the attributes of God. Did God know about that sin, Mary, that you just committed, that you're wondering whether that separates you from the will of God? Did God know about it? Did God choose, sovereignly choose you? Is his power at work in you? What sin can separate me from the love of God if, rooster, God knew it and God did know it, and he saved you to forgive you even of that sin that you think may be able to separate you from the love of God. Is it forgiven? 
if it was known, it was what? Forgiven. And if it's forgiven, then what does that mean? You're in Christ, not because you did good works, but because of the good work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, for us and instead of us. That also means that I stay in Christ not because of my good works. God keeps me in Christ through the ever-continuing activity of his gift of faith to me. He has given me faith to receive Christ, and he maintains that faith by his omnipotent power. Yes or no? Now, does that mean that we can live like hell and it doesn't matter, Jack, what the hell we do? I don't think so. God knows how to discipline his folks. And I believe there is a verse in 1 Corinthians 11 that speaks to this a little bit. You remember in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, is talking about the irregularities or the disunity or the sinful selfishness that is happening in the Corinthian church, especially in this particular chapter in relation to the communion meal. Do you remember that? Some are getting there early and eating it all, and then some are dis disdaining the others. I don't want to sit with her because she's from that background. You know, she's that or he's that, you know, whatever. And, and so he says, all of this is wrong. And he says, in fact, you're really polluting the body of Christ. You're dishonoring the Lord who died for you, whose communion this is, because it's called the Lord's communion. And he says, because of this sin, and I, that is particularly what he's talking about, but I do believe we can, it, it is a larger application. He says, because of this, some of you, verse 30, some of you what, have gotten what? <laughs> what? Sick. And even some of you have what? Fallen asleep. Well, what does that mean? Some of you have died. So you may say, well, what about the person who is saved and that person falls into sin and well, not whatever, la, 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 la. Well, here's the answer. Anybody ever ask that question? Am I the only one who's seen that question asked? What about the person who has sinned and this and that and fallen? And I know a person who lived for Christ and all of a sudden. Here's the answer. Leave it in God's hands. And I am convinced. I don't know how many. That some believers. If you would die early. As God's disciplining. Because of their refusal. To repent. And I'm not going to go down this next road because it just gets to be a question I can't get out of my mind and, and understand. I can't work my way graciously into God's will to be saved. And I can't work my way sinfully out of God's kingdom. Do you believe that or not? What that should do is free us from fear 
and preoccupation about me and my and I and open our hearts much more to God, trusting him, calling upon him, receiving from him. Because once the grade preoccupation is removed, then my living is not about my accomplishment or what I have done or not done. It begins to be about God who will accomplish his will in us. Does it matter about the grades? Oh, yes. But do the grades or are the grades able to touch God's sovereignty and his power and his knowledge and his immutability and his presence in such a way that they can overcome his eternal will? We believe the Bible says no. And so when I hear preaching that says, as to a believer, if you sin and you don't repent, you're going to hell. You're going to lose your salvation. You see, this is a gift of God. And in our understanding, what we see in the word is not a retractable gift. It is a gift that God has given to us sovereignly before the foundation of the world with all knowledge about everything about us. And it's a gift that is paid for by the Son. And the Son has paid for absolutely everything that was wrong about us. Why? God has sovereignly decreed this. And so hopefully what this does is to cause us to relax. And in one more thing you'll see, I think, in your notes. On November 3rd, we're going to have a shaking in this country. If the Republicans win, the other side is going to be very upset, right? If the Democrats win, the other side is going to be what? Very upset. And each one of you, I'm assuming, is praying for the election. Is God sovereignly overseeing and decreeing the result of the election? What happens if whoever doesn't get elected? Then we're going to hell in a handbasket. Is that possible? So, do I pray that Trump get elected? Some say yes. Do I pray that Biden get elected? Some say what? Yes. I say no. I say this. Father, as best I can determine, you give me the person to press the button for. That's the first thing. But in doing that, here is my prayer. Father, sovereignly decree that the people of this country will elect the man whom you have determined before the foundation of the world to be the leader of this country in the next four years, right? And if it's my person, okay, I can rejoice. If it's not my person, okay, my feelings, <laughs> but I can still rejoice. Why? Because God is sovereignly commanding and overseeing. Can you get that? Can we stop being so worried when Fox News says this or CNN says that or the, the, uh, the poll says Biden is ahead by 22 points or that Trump is doing it? Can we just relax and say, Father, thy will be done.
And on November 4th, when the news breaks and our person didn't get in, can we still say, thank you, Father, for sovereignly deciding? Can we do that? So next week, we'll begin to talk about God's righteousness and the issue of justice and injustice.